In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Did you happen to watch that dragon show last night? I don't mean to put to Game of Thrones-esque a point on this, but the future of streaming platforms may depend on it. That is an exaggeration, but only a slight one. As for the first time in their history, not all is well in the world of streaming platforms. You may have heard earlier this year that Netflix lost subscribers, recently that HBO and Discovery will merge, that most streaming companies have laid off content workers, and even that Netflix will be doing the previously unthinkable and offering an ad-supported tier. Meanwhile, shows like HBO's House of the Dragon, which debuted two weeks ago, and Amazon Prime's upcoming Rings of Power cost tens of millions of dollars per episode to make. So while the very survival of these platforms may not depend on you and me and everyone else watching these shows, what the industry looks like a year or two from now, like who's still around, who's merged with who, what kinds of content these platforms are producing, very well might. This is the turning point of a fledgling industry. Where does it go from here? We're about to find out, and no doubt, Somebody will base a premium cable drama on what happens next. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Brian Steinberg is the senior TV editor at Variety. Hello, Brian. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Why don't we start with uh, what everyone's hopefully, I guess, watching this month and next month. How important to the entire streaming industry, I guess, is HBO's Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon, and Amazon's gigantic uh, Lord of the Rings spinoff prequel, I guess, uh, Rings of Power? How important are they? These types of shows are really significant. I think You know, look, there are dozens and dozens, even hundreds of new shows launching across all these different streaming platforms every week. And I think it's easier to get an edge in the marketplace if you have a property that already has some history. People know what what Game of Thrones is, what Lord of the Rings is. That's why you're seeing a lot of reboots and revamps of, you know, different shows that were once on the air. For example, um, uh, Full House with Fuller House on Netflix. I think these the services... First of all, many of them are owned by Disney, NBC, CBS, that have libraries full of this stuff that could just be dusted off and brought back. Um, but it's harder and harder to, to, you know, if you look at the, the old adage about um, TV shows that 80% of them fail, no matter what happens. And it's because it's hard to get people to make a regular habit 
of a new program. The Spanish season got even worse now. So Lord of the Rings, uh, House of Dragons, these shows have some history, some some already a marketplace edge. People know what they are. It's easier for them to kind of latch on to them. In the current climate of the streaming industry, are these the shows that will kind of decide the next chapter in it? It it I ask this question because it seems like a very tumultuous time uh, for streaming platforms. It is a tougher time. I think earlier this year, Netflix reported some earnings hiccups. And I think the sense of the matter is that with a re- possible recession looming, consumers can only spend so much on streaming services. There are you know, roughly 10, 12, many out there. How many of them can people afford and still subscribe to newsletters, news outlets, satellite radio, pay for groceries and gas? I don't know that every streaming service is a must-have um, or a nice-to-have. And I think consumers are going to work their way through that in weeks to come. So yes, I think there's a sense that, that the growth these things we're seeing over the past couple of years may have hit a snag. And Disney is coming on very strong. Amazon is coming on very strong. Apple's buying up sports rights, as is Amazon. It's kind of the survival of the fittest right now. Maybe you can take us back to earlier this year. I think for myself and probably for some of our listeners, that was the first time we'd kind of heard any sense of trouble in the industry when Netflix announced uh, that for the first time in its history, uh, its number of subscribers had dropped. Was that sort of the end of the boom times? When did we realize that this was no longer just an upward trajectory? Well, I think it's been coming on for a while. Disney's been been, been building and coming on very strong for a while. You know, they have the portfolio that could, you know, out Netflix, Netflix in terms of the properties they own. They have a lot of stuff that has historical value, sentimental value, emotional attachment, Star Wars, National Geographic, the Marvel movies. Um, but yes, I think back in um, April, uh, Netflix kind of reported lost 200,000 subscribers and suggested it might lose 2 million more in months to come. That is a sign you know, that, you know, the audience for streaming is finite, not infinite. Uh, look, you have Discovery, Warner Brothers, where was Discovery trying to merge HBO Max and Discovery Plus. You have uh, Paramount and Comcast working on Peacock and Paramount Plus. Uh, and a lot of these, these folks have the, the skills to make shows that have the emotional attachment and some history. And, you know, Netflix isn't the only, only person out there, and a lot of folks are, are, are catching up to them. In terms of Netflix, they've recently said they're going to add an ad-supported tier uh, to their programming. A couple years ago, they were this giant in the industry, and everybody else was playing catch-up. It seems like a very quick turnaround. Well, also Netflix has long denied that it would ever consider an ad plan. We'll never, we'll never do that. Our customers don't want it. Remember, the appeal of streaming initially was to watch things ad-free. You know, people who watch linear TV watch probably 20 minutes of ads every hour, 15, 20 minutes of ads. It is, it is a cluttered environment, they call it the business. And there is great concern as ratings go down, fewer people are watching, that they need to run the ads more frequently to make the same kind of impact because people are there's, there's fewer eyeballs on that show. So it is a, it is a bit of a, of a mess in some ways. But you know, so Netflix, this is, a, this is a reversal. Don't let anyone tell you that this is, this is looking to drive by innovation. This is a reversal of, of, of previous policy at Netflix. They haven't wanted to run commercials. Now they're going, now they're going to try. And by the way, Disney is already at it, and uh, others are too. And, and by the way, Disney is no slouch at selling commercials. They've done it, done it for decades. Right. Is where we're at now, I mean, 
I've seen a lot of headlines talking about the beginning of the end of streaming or that, you know, the industry is in trouble right now. My question is less that and more of, isn't this like the proper market evolution and consolidation we'd expect in any industry? You know, I don't think anybody ever expected they'd end up paying monthly for four, five, six, or more streaming services. So in the end, you know, you said survival of the fittest, right? They're all going to battle it out and there'll be two or three big platforms to choose from when it's all done? Yeah, the, the sense is that people will only get two or three of these. There are must-haves and neat and, and nice-to-haves. And that's going to, I think, show itself up in the market pretty soon. Um, or there's going to be some more mergers so people can scale up and make their nice-to-have a must-have. Um, yeah, I, well, I think if you follow the history of media, the, uh, the sense that it's streaming or nothing uh, probably wasn't informed by history. If you look at you know, radio, TV, billboards, newspapers, magazines, are all still around, but their, their share of the market has dwindled. They're now you know, one more piece of the pie. The pie is getting cut up more by different media venues, social media. And so money is not always infinite. Money is finite. And the amount people are going to spend either from subscriptions or advertisers on commercials uh, is only so much of it to go around. And I think streaming is now finding its place in that pie. As you look at that market and who's got which pieces of the pie, who is holding the best hand? I mentioned a couple years ago, the answer was Netflix, no question. Now it seems like there's three, four, or five people that are going to battle it out? Well, Netflix is, is first to market and still has a, a very sizable subscriber base. And they're international. They are still coming up with, with, hit, with things that, that resound culturally. I don't think they are done by a long shot, but some of the older school folks, I, I would argue Disney, which has a portfolio of services, which include Hulu, ESPN Plus, and Disney Plus. And I think HBO Max has got a huge library a knack for coming up with, with culturally relevant new programming. And, you know, I, I think it remains to be seen whether the Discovery stuff, the, the Guy Fieri, 90 Day Fiancé stuff is going to mean that much to the average person who subscribes to watch Game of Thrones, The Wire, mm. and, uh, you know, Hacks or Euphoria. I don't know if that's a, a mix the person wants or if they want to pay more to get that. That's, that's, a, that's a great question. Are the, are the two brands simpatico or so different that people really don't want them together at all? It'll be interesting to see how that happens, and that will be something to watch next year. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. One of the things we've seen uh, causing at least a... I don't want to say headlines because it's mostly a whole bunch of really devoted fans who are angry, but uh, reports of things like Sesame Street episodes and some beloved animated shows just vanishing off these platforms. And I'm trying to figure out why would HBO or Discovery do that, right? Like, surely if you already own these shows, um, more content is more, right? It's better. Why would you just remove them? Yeah, it's kind of a reversal of, of, of conventional thinking. I mean, the sense has been you want to give people more and more to watch, keep them on the site longer, keep them binge watching, et cetera, et cetera. 
Well, I think the bean counters at Warner Brothers Discovery have figured out is that some things aren't watched that much. They don't generate the audience that you hope for, and yet you're still paying the licensing fee or you know residuals that are associated with that content being available for you. So in other words, maybe they're not being watched that much, and yet they're still paying out the licensing fee to the rights to air the show, or maybe the actors, producers, musicians get paid fees, you know, pennies or dimes because of their part in the process. So I think maybe they're saying, you know, well, if this isn't being watched all that much, yeah, I'm still paying a regular fee for its use. I'm not making any money off of this. Let's get this off right now. Let's let's start right-sizing our portfolio and focus on the things that people are actually watching regularly. What does that mean, though, for the preservation of TV history. I mean, Sesame Street is is an institution and its older episodes should still exist in some capacity, right? And I come from uh I come from a background a long time ago I used to write about video games and one of the constant concerns in that industry is the way that older content becomes unplayable, unrevisitable and you kind of lose this stuff that is an important part of the history of the industry. And what happens if these TV shows that used to be available on DVD or on reruns or wherever are all of a sudden like snapped out of existence? It's a great question. I do, I do you do have to wonder about that. I mean, is there, look, there, there, are, there's a, there are museums that, that keep things around. There, the, the, one of the problems with Sesame Street is that, you know, one of the reasons they didn't deal with HBO a few years ago is that they their, their DVD sales plummeted. People were no longer, no longer buying DVDs. Maybe that makes a comeback. Maybe there's a way to sell, you know, digital packages of Sesame Street archives that, that people would, would, would pay for. But it will be uh, driven by marketplace demands and consumers if they want to buy it or not. But I, I think there is a great question. I mean, I think the, the thought was that, gee, I can watch anything I want on streaming. It'll all be there. I love Lucy or Schoolhouse Rock. or these. Sort of, but I guess that isn't going to work economically. And, and these media companies are going to start putting under scrutiny the content they run to make sure they're getting a return off of it. What could the future hold, not necessarily in terms of like the marketplace battle of Netflix versus Disney, but for the kind of content that these platforms create, if the new Amazon and HBO shows we mentioned off the top don't deliver huge hits? I know a budget crunch has been uh, a big problem, and these shows cost tens of millions of dollars or more. Could we see the end of that, you know, big budget epic TV production? Um, I think these they, they will spend on thing on big swings, but they may spend a little less on medium and small swings that they're not sure are going to generate the audience they need. They also keep in mind have these cable networks that still generate a lot of cash and, pro- and they've been starving them of content to feed the streaming streaming venues and platforms. So I do wonder if the, you know they need to kind of look at their at their the pie and say, gee, I'm. I'm giving all to this slice and none to that slice. I need to kind of rectify or, or kind of right-size my spending and, and, and reallocate what I'm doing here. Um, I, I think there's still a market for these big swing, grand ambition series, but I think that there may be less of stuff, you know, it's niche or, you know, isn't only going to generate uh, smaller, nichier viewing habits. You know, much like there's, big blockbuster movies, and there's kind of art films. From a consumer point of view, is there a world in which cable TV kind of makes a comeback just based on the fact that 
some people surely must be adding up the amount of money they are spending subscribing to all these services and realizing that it's actually more than they were paying before they cut the cord with the intent of saving money? It's a great question. Um, you know, cable, the cable distributors aren't the most customer friendly folks out there. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> so there's a bad, you know, people are, I think if someone says, gee, I can, I can dump this. I think they're kind of happy. You know, there's not a lot of brand resonance around a charter or an optimum or a Comcast. They're just, it's just the, it's the, it's the utility company, you know, and, and they're not particularly, you know, helpful friendly. They, they, they make you buy large tiers of stuff. You can't customize the, the, the shows you want. Um, I, 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 I think there's still a size amount of people who, who like to get cable and find it reliable and that sort of thing. But I, I also think you, you can have more control if you can say, Oh, I'll get HBO this month because these series are on. Now let me get out of HBO until some, until there's a better thing coming along. I like Netflix for this. I want to watch this new series. Now let me get out of it again because you know, I watched what I wanted to watch. And I don't need it right now. So I, I think you may see a more activist consumer who keeps more tabs on what they're, what they're paying out for and what's on. And, you know, maybe dips in and out as programming changes. Beyond the Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings spinoffs and how they do, what will you be watching for in the industry over the next, let's say, six months to kind of get a sense of, of where it goes from here? Well, I think sports rights is also becoming very important. And you're seeing Amazon and Apple compete for major things that are coming up now. Apple's gotten some baseball and soccer under its, under its umbrella. Amazon this fall will be covering Thursday Night Football exclusively. Um, you know, these guys, you know, sports rights are really expensive, and Disney and NBC need them to kind of make their business work. And if, you know, the tech guys who really, can, I think, can throw money around without worrying as much as, as, say, a Comcast or a Disney or a Paramount are willing to, you know, spend on this stuff, you may see that market really uh, heat up and explode, and, and that would take viewers away from traditional TV, they, and they would subscribe to, if you're a baseball fan, you may want to subscribe to Apple for baseball. And that keeps you there, you know, because there are, there are multiple games and across the course of a season, you may end up being there for a while and not churning in and out. Ryan, thank you so much for this. It's a fascinating look at an industry in real flux right now. Glad to be here. It's a lot of fun. Ryan Steinberg of Variety. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. I will stop bothering you very soon, I promise, to take our listener survey. A couple hundred of you have already done so. We are so grateful. Very soon, we will start drawing names to give tote bags to. So leave your email if you would like the chance to win. You can find it by clicking the big survey button at the top of the page. If you want to talk to us anywhere else, we are on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can email us at hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. You can leave us an old-fashioned voicemail, 416-935-5935. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.